Sabbath, we are so glad that you continue to spend your summers with us. And as we delve again into this idea of the rhythms of rest, and that alliteration is not mine, it belongs to the Sabbath school, we want to make sure and that we ask God's presence to dwell and descend, that alliteration is mine, on us at this point. So can I invite you to pause and pray? God, we want to thank you so much for bringing us together. We would ask that as we continue to commune, now as we find some commonality, that you drive us to find a rest in you. Now, the rhythms of our lives might be marked and marred by all types of things, but today, Today, we would simply ask that you infuse our lives with the presence of your spirit. We pray in your name. Amen. Now, you've seen the romantic comedy, Boy Meets Girl. Girl finds boy attractive. Boy makes a couple mistakes. They fall in love and they live happily ever after. Now, aside from the almost formulaic plot that all of these romantic comedies have, there is something that happens, a shift in the narrative, if you will. It is when the boy and the girl change the way they view each other. Typically, it happens at night. It's this magical encounter. There's great food. And so, for decades... Dating people have been burdened by the idea that we need to live up to these awesome transformational experiences that will allow us to find a soulmate. Well, for this particular boy, it happened when he decided to invite a particular girl to have a dinner at the only Michelin-rated restaurant in that area. Now, it's said that not many... Restaurants carry this awesome designation. But as he pulled in and had his car, that old beat-up truck picked up by the valets, he knew something was different. It was painfully apparent to him that he was underdressed as he was asked about a coat. And then he was forced to put one on it fit two sizes too big. He was hurriedly moved to the table he had reserved by a waiter who looked bemused and a little bit annoyed. When the waiter returned to ask about drinks as he waited, he shook his head. Not only because the prices of those bottles of wine or astonishing, but he was, after all, a teetotaler. Alcohol wasn't part of his rhythm, and so he asked for a soda. Not just any soda, a diet soda. Not just any diet soda, but a diet soda with lime and ice. He looked around, moved his head, waited, nervously 
flipped open that phone? Do you remember when you actually had to flip open your phone? Looking for the number or maybe this new technology, a text message that could come through. He looked at the menu and began to think about the prices and how much this meal would set him back. He realized that there, was, there would be no money for appetizers and that dessert was going to have to be shared. Actually, at that point, he was starting to think about simply ordering a salad, even though he hadn't eaten, because he wanted to give the girl the chance to order whatever she wanted. He continued twiddling his thumbs, and then finally, after what seemed to be an eternity, the text message came through. I'm sorry, I won't be able to make it. Terrible traffic. The boy looked out and realized that his dreams of a transformational evening were shattered, and at this moment, now a decision to be made. Should he stand up and venture into one of the many fast food restaurants that had been almost constant companions, or did he dare and experience this culinary explosion of flavors by himself? He thought for a moment and figured, I've already ordered a diet drink, might as well keep perusing the menu. And then he saw it. One of his favorite dishes, he didn't think much of it. He tried it, ate it, and was amazed by the flavors. Oh, the delicacy, the richness, the succulent spices and aromas merging together, almost in an operatic way. And then, then it was over. Now, that was not the transformational story for the romantic boy that waited for the girl at this table. It wasn't even the best meal the boy would have, would have that year. Six months later, he would be at one of those fast food places, eating a simple meal with a simple girl. Trans his life transformed, he would decide at that moment that that's who he would marry. There was something about that meal, though. As years passed and he would venture by that restaurant, still Michelin rated, he remembered the meal. He remembered the meal not because it was delicious, but because it was disappointing. And then it hit him. Now, the reason why that flavor feast wasn't all he expected was that he was forced to eat alone. So he looked, he looked at the woman who had now become his wife, a little older, a little wiser, a little more gray hair on his head, he said, I was not me until I met you. The reality is, my dear friends, we are created to commune, to connect. We are created to dwell and live and experience the rhythms of life together. 
The old adage, no man or no woman to be gender inclusive is an island, continues to hold true. And that is why God expressly sets up a rhythm of life that drives towards community. As Adventists, we've spoken a lot throughout the years in countless Bible studies, sermons, literary materials about the idea of Sabbath. We've referred to it as the day that God wishes for us to keep. I've come up with neat lists of things that are appropriate and inappropriate to do. We've added a sense of urgency to the doctrine of Sabbath by connecting it to our understanding of what's going to happen right before the second coming. And we've used it, we've used it, well, let's be frank, we've used it as a testament of faith, haven't we? Those who keep the commandments and have the testimony of Jesus. We've quoted those lines from the book of Revelation time and time again in order to make Sabbath the sign of the elect. But what if? What if the idea of Sabbath isn't about our place in Earth's cosmic conflict? Or the day that we're meant to go to church or even the sign of the remnant. What if Sabbath is a 24-hour period that God has placed in the rhythm of our lives so that we may experience rest in communion with one another? What if Sabbath is God desperately waiting at that table, hoping in that Michelin-rated restaurant that we will show up so that he can say to us, I am not me until I have you. It seems that that's how the story begins, isn't it? All the way back in the book of Genesis. And think about how God describes it. He talks about it in the second chapter, the first verse. He has this idea of rest and restoration, even as there is the notion of separation of something being created holy. But before the Sabbath exists, there is an admonition, dare I say, the realization that you and I and everything that is on this world is created good and indeed very good. What if Sabbath then is a celebration of our status as good creatures communing with an even better creator? What if that's why the day was made holy? What if rest is the term that scripture attempts to use to define and describe the reconciliation that exists when creature and creator engage one another? What if we forgot that? What if after spending years hiding, listening desperately to hear the footsteps of God, walking in the cool of day and realizing we were naked. What if God had to remind us of his initial purposes by calling us to a mountain 
and denuding us of pride and false religiosity in order to give us the ten. And what if God says through the Ten Commandments, remember, remember that you would make you were made for one another. What if God is actually telling us that we belong to him and he belongs to us? Because in six days, he created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. But the seventh day, he waited at that Michelin-rated restaurant. And what if those relationships that we have with God explode into the realm of interpersonal experience? What if God says that amidst the hierarchies and the silos that we erect, the real, the real truth is that we all are invited to rest, regardless if you are a son or a daughter, a male servant or a female servant, an ox, or the foreigner living within the gates, what if the invitation becomes in the rhythm of life to dream about a world without separation, a world in which we all experience rest? What if Sabbath then isn't a break of this world, but an invitation to experience what the world to come will look like? as we experience ultimate in intimacy with God and one another? What if Sabbath becomes a moment, a moment in which we remember not only that we are creatures belonging to a creator, but that we are free, that that creator inhabited our experience, our life, our, our realm, in order to deliver us from Egypt? or from slavery, or from, or, or from sin, or from loneliness, or from anxiety, or exasperation, or from disease, or from being distraught for whatever ails us. What if Sabbath is the invitation to celebrate that in Him we have hope and healing? If all of these are the cases, then maybe Maybe it's time to start referring to Sabbath not only as a break, but as an experience, as an invitation to participate in the good world that the Creator has established. So won't you join me? Won't you join me in enjoying the reality of Sabbath? The reality of relationship in Genesis of remembrance in Exodus and of celebration in Deuteronomy? What if you join me in partaking today of heaven on earth, the 24-hour period when you celebrate salvation, for he has set you free? What if Sabbath then isn't merely about teaching you the rhythm of rest and work, but what if Sabbath is inviting you to dance with the divine? And if that's the case, well, if that's the case, maybe we got it all wrong. Or maybe we didn't. I mean, wasn't it him who said that men, that men received a gift because the Sabbath was made for them? So today he's sitting there waiting 
twiddling his thumbs, looking at the menu, wondering when you will show up. Because he is not him unless he has you. Won't you meet him today? Today, this Sabbath, your day of rest. Joey, what if what if the Sabbath was something else? Hmm. Wow, so powerful. I love the, all the imagery you brought up, but I first need to comment. You are on fire with your alliteration today. I mean, rhythms of rest, pause for prayer. <laughs> You're just rolling on that. Well, that was that was a lesson that got us started today, Joey. We just followed down that path. And once you get us down that path, we don't know when we'll start, when we'll stop. That's so great. Yeah, such powerful imagery. I, I loved how this lesson moved through three different stages. Mm -hmm. Um, first at creation and then at the exodus and then as a reminder as they're entering into mm -hmm. the, the promised land. Um, and at all three points, this, this message of Sabbath is emphasized um, that we have a creator and that we are, like you said, we have this opportunity to dance with the divine. Another alliteration. Mm -hmm. There yeah. you go. Yeah, what I find most moving, and I don't know if you noticed, I, I I looked at it a lot of times, but it just, it was it was I think masterfully uh, presented uh, as you look at these passages side by side by side, mm -hmm. that at each time the rationale for Sabbath keeping is different, mm -hmm. um, right? So in Genesis, God says, "Hey, I'm gonna rest." I'm going to rest because life is good. Yeah. And um, I'm not going to rest because I'm tired. I'm going to rest because I've done what I, what I set out to do. So there's this, at least in the Genesis account, I think this satisfaction with Sabbath. Mm. And then in Exodus, the rationale is different, right? It's I want to remind you mm. and I want to remember. I want to remember what it was like and I want to dream about or what it could be like mm -hmm. in the future. And so God says, I remember, remember this Genesis account. Mm. And then in Deuteronomy, the rationale is different. Mm. It's not, I want to remember the past and dream about the future. It's I want to celebrate what has already happened. Mm. And so you have this idea of Sabbath as an act of communal celebration mm. of freedom. And so I, I think that, as we talk about these rhythms of rest that the lesson is causing us to ponder upon, I think that we would do well uh, when we're constantly attempting to expand mm. our ideas and our notions of what Sabbath is or what it could be yeah. so that it doesn't become wooden. I mean, if Israel could do it, could come up with an alternate rationale for Sabbath celebration a mere 40 years mm -hmm. Uh, before, uh, after the commandments are given, uh, uh, were given to them. I wonder um, if we would do well mm. to constantly be re-examining this doctrine. I know, just a thought. What do you think? Yeah, I love that. That Sabbath is is all. It's also remembering the past. It's also celebrating the the present and looking at hope for the future. That's that's powerful, and. And sometimes we get bogged down with one of those elements and not not mm -hmm. the others. And, you know, celebration seems to be a big part 
of what God is doing with the Sabbath. It's it's a culmination. It's a climax that he celebrates of creation, at the, as you pointed out in Genesis, but also a celebration in Deuteronomy um, with, with all that God has done to lead them up to this point. Before they have more work to do, right. it's like God is reminding them, let's take time to really enjoy and mm-hmm. celebrate what God has done. Mm-hmm. So why do you think celebration is so important to God? Why is it so important to take that moment to remember what has been done and celebrate the successes and the accomplishments mm. of the past? Joey, that's a great question. I love the way you phrased it. You know what? I think it has to do with the fact that celebration forces you to be, as you said, in the moment. Mm. So there's this very present oriented, there's, there's almost this immediacy that is connected to the concept of Sabbath. Mm. Um, whereas if you're looking at the past and only at the past, so you, you're looking at what God did and you're trying to remember, that sometimes leads to denominational navel-gazing. Yeah. So yeah, we're great. We're the best. Yeah. Look at our story. Look at how God has led us. And when you're always looking at the future, it leads to this denominational anxiety that mm. becomes reclusive and exclusive. Mm-hmm. But when you're, when, when part, and not that any of those two things is wrong. I mean, I think we need to, to have a rich history and to be constantly dialoguing with that history. And I think we also need to think, well, what is God going to call us to do at the culmination of Earth, Earth's history? I think those are great things. But I think the idea of celebration mm-hmm. holds these two intention and imbalance. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, Celebrating what God is doing here and now forces us to ask ourselves the question, how do we respond responsibly to what God is doing? Mm. And then how do we act today? Yeah. How, how do we remain cognizant of what God has done and hopeful towards yeah. what God will do, but also involved in what God is doing now? And I think, as you've pointed out, these the idea of being in the moment and celebration, I think, holds the other two intention. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the problem with, with Adventism for much of our denominational history is that we haven't had a point of balance between sometimes our penchant to just look at the past mm-hmm. and be embarrassed sometimes by the past and try to let go of it or to be wholly focused on the future. Mm. Um, I think we would do well if we add just a modicum of celebration to our Sabbath practices. Wow. So Sabbath is meant to bring some balance mm-hmm. to, to all of that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I see that. I mean, there is a tendency within our denomination to look on the past with a, a bit of nostalgia. I think that's present really in all denominations and all peoples, Absolutely. right? To look at the past and to sort of glorify the past and raise it up beyond a pedestal. Um, and so there's a longing to be like the first, mm-hmm. you know, first, the first Adventists or even like the first Christians, right? And that let's, let's become like them. And so it, and that, that completely misses what God is doing in the present mm-hmm. and where God is leading his people in the future. Right. And we see that also with the, with the the Jews, they really, their problem was not that they, when Jesus came, their problem was not that they had missed the lessons of the past. Their problem was that they weren't looking to where God was moving them Mm -hmm. in the future and what God was doing 
for them in the present, right? They had learned the past lessons about not, you know, following after idols and 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 you know, staying a holy and um, holy people. They those lessons they had grasped, but they missed what mm. God was trying to yeah. do in the present yeah. and also lead them to in the future. My and goodness. you're saying Sabbath can give us that balance. But that is so well put. Um, because typically what we do is we villainize those that are different, mm. right? And so I think what you're saying is so powerful because it, it humanizes the Jews in, in the Gospels, mm -hmm. not as like these bad people, um, because they had learned some lessons that were really important that God wanted them to yeah. learn. Um, but what you're saying is that because their understanding of God was a God that did, not a God that is doing, mm -hmm. um, because they kind of lived in, in, in that space between God did and God will do, yeah. right? He'll liberate us at some point from, from Rome. We forgot what God is doing. And so I think I think Sabbath doesn't only then bring balance. And this people ask all the time, well, for Adventists, and you know, Joey, that uh, a lot of the great literature on Sabbath is now being written by brothers and sisters that are outside of, of Adventism. So a lot of people ask, well, does the day matter? Mm. And I think the problem is when you start just looking at the day rather than at the principle. And I think what... What, what you're saying, and I think what I'm trying to say, though not as eloquently as you have, is Sabbath not only brings balance to your life, mm. Sabbath brings balance to your understanding of salvation. Mm. I God did something on the cross. Yeah. God will do something at redemption, but God is expecting you to do something now. Wow. And it also brings balance to our theology yeah. and the way we interact with other people. So I think in a very real sense, Sabbath is this fulcrum for Christian life and experience, not as some of our pioneers might have seen it, as kind of this sign that makes us better than, than other Christian families, mm -hmm. but rather it's a sign that makes us, I think, more balanced mm. than, than other Christian families. And I think if we, if we start focusing on that, maybe um, we would avoid that temptation to teeter-totter yeah. uh, when it comes to our theology, our beliefs, our way of looking at salvation, our way of looking at church, at discipleship, at all these things that, we, that we're constantly talking about. Yeah, if we would... So maybe there needs to be a little bit of inventiveness mm. with the practice of the Sabbath so that we're not just trying to keep the Sabbath like our forefathers mm -hmm. kept the Sabbath. Although, you know, the tradition of history is very important and right. what God has taught um, our forefathers, our foremothers, our <laughs> ancestors, right? Um, I think all of those things are very, very important. However, we also need to give God the flexibility mm. to teach us something in the present mm. and also in the future. Yeah. So maybe our practice of the Sabbath needs to stay committed and true to what we have learned about the Sabbath in the past and yet still have the flexibility mm. for God to do something new with the Sabbath in the present. Mm. Yeah, and I think that inventiveness, uh, it has to be courage birthed. Mm. Um, you know the our early history, and I am always 
surprised because a lot of people either, like we said before, either say everything that our founding uh, parents in Adventism did was good or everything was bad. And we kind of uh, go through this this really complex love-hate relationship with Mm -hmm. them. But the reality is, whatever your particular position on that might be, What cannot be debated is that they were courageous. Mm. So Rachel Oaks comes with the idea of the Sabbath and they say, well, that's great. Fantastic. Um, And then Joseph Bates says, well, what what if Sabbath isn't just about the commandments? What if there's something future oriented? And so within like this really short window, their whole way of understanding and looking and practicing Mm. Sabbath shifted. And there was inventiveness, and I think that inventiveness spawned the growth of Adventism as kind of this movement that was always looking and that was open to recognizing its mistakes and then to change those mistakes, to yes. say, hey, believing in this idea of God uh, having a short, shut door for salvation is probably not a good thing. Let's leave that behind. Whereas when we don't have inventiveness... Mm our institutions become institutionalized. And once our institutions become institutionalized, there's what what we talk about all the time, which is there's this mission drift because the mission becomes the institution. Yeah, just the survival of the institution rather than the actual mission for which the institution was created. Yeah, we've talked about that before. And this idea, I mean, we I think this quote comes up all the time in our staff meetings, the um, Pelican um, quote that goes, um, tradition mm-hmm. is the living faith of the dead. Right. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the, of living, the living, right? So that if if our Sabbath becomes just traditionalism, then we're just following the rote mm-hmm. practices um, that were modeled by the past, by our past ancestors, without really understanding the beauty and the and the principles that are growing behind it. And yet, if we do have some inventiveness, then we can take those principles and reapply them to our present in ways that wasn't couldn't have even been imagined by by our ancestors because they don't live in the context we do today. Mm. So that that flexibility in our practice. And that flexibility, Joey, I think doesn't it change the way we approach not just our institutional mission, but our missiology in general. Mm. Because when you have that openness or that willingness to be open, you realize that the remnant isn't this group that believes a certain thing, set of things that make them better, but rather the remnant is a group that possesses language that helps us understand God in a better wow. way. And so maybe the, the the whole Sabbath discussion, we've been looking at it from the wrong perspective. Maybe as a remnant church, mm. we've been gifted the language of Sabbath to understand this God that invites us, as we've been saying, to dance with the divine and to include these rhythms of rest within within our daily existence. Yeah. That seems to be something that I think the whole Christian world, and not just the Christian world, mm-hmm. people in general are desperate to hear. Yeah. And so rather than, if, if we're being inventive, the question isn't how do we get the remnant to be smaller? <laughs> But rather, how do we get our language to be broader? Yes. And so I, I really, really resonate with, with what you're saying. This idea of 
always trying to be inventive and fresh and open without letting go of the faith of those who have come before us. Wow. I love how you've just taken what we're talking about the Sabbath and expanded it to encompass all of our theology (laughs) and our missiology and and ecclesiology we could go into. Uh, But yeah, the idea of the remnant being something that's not meant to stay small, Mm -hmm. but it's meant to grow. I mean, that just comes from the imagery itself, right? Because you think of like the remnant of dough that people use for baking. The whole point of taking that remnant of dough is to take the yeast that was in there and to put it into fresh dough and that's supposed to infuse the new Mm. dough and then you're able, that grows and then you take a piece of that and and you make more Mm. dough out of it. And so there, there is that beautiful imagery that the remnant is supposed to grow. And that you see that throughout Jesus's teachings, right? The salt that yeah. that spreads, the light that spreads, everything is spent, meant to spread and grow. So a remnant is never meant to stay small. It's meant to spread mm. and grow. And so I, I, I love that. I love what you're saying about that. And I love what you're saying about, about the Sabbath, that the Sabbath is also, if we, if we have that same inventiveness with, with the Sabbath, that, that God had with the Sabbath. Because like you pointed out, in Genesis, the Sabbath was really meant to commemorate um, creation, right? right? And then God sort of reinvents the Sabbath at the Exodus, mm-hmm. right? And it was meant to, to remind them of the creator and what the creator can do. And then in Deuteronomy, it's like, it takes on this theme of liberation, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not just that God is your creator, he is your redeemer. Mm -hmm. And the Sabbath is meant to remind us of both of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, at creation, it couldn't have been to remind us of liberation because there was nothing to liberate us from. And yet when, when their context, when the people of God, their context changed, God was willing to reinvent this practice of the Sabbath Mm -hmm. to mean something new and something important for for the the people of God. And so we need to have that kind of um, inventiveness and flexibility as well. Wow, that is so well stated. This idea of simply not trying to be revolutionary or change for change's sake, but rather that change... Um, provides us with the capacity to understand what God is doing and mm. what God is continuing to do. And the I think for me, Julie, I don't know if you're feeling this, but I I feel a lot of urgency. Mm. Um, when I read uh, Brugman's Sabbath as uh, resistance, mm. or I read Jürgen Moltmann's God in Creation, mm. Um, or like happened here on our campus a few weeks ago, I, I there's a camera crew from Germany that comes to interview us about the Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, they're like, what is different about this community? And so there's all these other forces that are asking us questions about this particular piece of our language. And I find that we can't wait uh, for this courage of inventiveness to strike, mm. we need to start today. Yes. Because the world is asking us today, mm. and they're desperate for something, I think. And and so I I just again I don't want to 
don't want to get on my soapbox, but if you're watching us out there and you've wondered, what do I do with all this information? Joey and Miguel and Stu talk all the time. What do I do with that? I think the invitation that we're making today is just dare to dream about what your belief system as an Adventist, as a faithful Adventist could be mm. as you go and you interact with a world that desperately needs to hear uh, some, some good news, some affirmation, yeah. some peace, some hope. Wow. Yeah. So going into that practical realm, then what does that look like for the Sabbath? Like if we were just right now daring to dream about what the Sabbath could look like if we were faithful to the, to the traditions of the past and yet um, flexible to how God is moving in the future, what could the Sabbath be? How can we be, what are some ways that we could be inventive mm. with the Sabbath? So one of the things I think that in the past, Joey, you read the conversation that was ha being had mm. and you chuckle is uh, early Adventists struggling to know, well, when exactly is the Sabbath? Um, and so there was a group that said, well, it needs to be literally like midnight to midnight. Mm. And then there was another group that said, well, it depends when the sun goes down. And then people that were living uh, in, you know, really Nordic countries were asking, well, wait a second, what does that mean with our whole uh the way that, you know, sunsets and, and sunrises happen in, in, you know, the most northern and most southern parts of the world. And then the whole thing as people are beginning to travel across uh, time zones, what does that mean for the Sabbath? And so there was a lot of conversation. And finally, Adventists settle on this period of time, mm. this 24-hour period of time. And... Before we got into like the lists of stuff that you could do and you could not do, they believed that it was this 24-hour period of time that should be different mm. than all the other periods of time. Yeah. So maybe a way in which we can start asking how do we remain faithful to the past is we grasp onto that idea. Yeah. So what if Sabbath is a 24-hour period of time that is meant to look different than the rest of your week. Mm. And what I mean by that is, um, whatever you do on those six other days, you don't do on Sabbath. Not because mm -hmm. it's a, well, not because it's a prohibition, mm -hmm. but because it's meant to be different. So in my case, yeah. it's not a matter of, do I go out to eat or don't I go out to eat? Um, but rather, I don't really enjoy chatting with people. Mm. It doesn't come naturally to me. So what if for 24 hours of time, I challenge myself yeah. to be intentional about connecting with people? Yeah. Um, what if for 24 hours, I, mm. I never eat slowly. What if for 24 hours, I decide to have three meals sitting down slowly? Mm. Um what would that look like? And in a world that desperately needs, I think, a break from the routine, I wonder I wonder if that wouldn't be a, a positive place to start. Well, what about you? What, what could Sabbath be? I mean, I love what you've done there because what you've done is taken a principle of what Sabbath is meant to be. 
um, this otherliness quality of it, that it's a taste of heaven. And then incorporate it and ask yourself, what does that look like in my life, in my context, where I am? Not trying to compare yourself to other people and what right. other people are doing, but for me. And I know for some people that otherliness quality is to put on a suit and a tie and come to church because they don't wear suit and, suit right. and ties. It's like they have their special clothes mm -hmm. that they wear just for the Sabbath. And it creates this otherliness, mm -hmm. right? For other people who wear suit and ties to work all the time, maybe what they want is not to wear the suit and right. tie and wear something that's more relaxed and casual. And that allows them to connect and creates a more otherliness mm -hmm. quality. So I love what you've done. You've taken that principle and applied it to your life. For us, for me, um, what I've done as, you know, bringing this into a family context, um, something that we, we did when our kids were a little bit younger was we talked about the principles of the Sabbath. Because I think that that is where you need to start because it, it, we're not reinventing the Sabbath right. completely, right? There are certain principles that the Sabbath are meant to to, to communicate the, the, the taste of heaven, the idea of liberation from sin and also the just the, the rhythms of this sinful world, mm -hmm. right, that we get obsessed with, whether it's productivity or work or whatever, it's to break those rhythms and to give some rest, the principles of community, remembering our creator. We talked about some of those things, and then we asked ourselves for our family, what does that look like? What, what, <clears throat> what practices can we do on the Sabbath? What habits can we do on the Sabbath in order to bring that about for our family? And for one, one thing that we've done is that we we begin at each Sabbath with a worship together, mm. just a special worship. It's a it's a time that we all look forward to at the throughout the week. Um, you know, the kids get to pick the songs that we sing. Uh, I bring out my guitar, which I'm not great at playing, <laughs> but I'm the only one that plays the guitar in the family. So they're in awe of what I do. And we sing together. We sing together songs and, and, and we, you know, we, we read a, a passage of scripture together and talk about it. And we talk about what is meaningful mm. to us as a family. It's something that, that sets the Sabbath apart for us. But I, th I think I love that, that idea of just bringing the principles together and then reinventing it for our your own context. And I think, Joey, that that's, that's why I found Brugman's book so moving. Um, and by the way, Brugman's not paying me anything to say this. <laughs> um, but the whole argument that he was making was very different than the argument I grew up with. And if you go to Israel, the argument that sometimes is still made, which is, no, 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 we don't go out to eat on Sabbath because we are called to rest and we don't cook food on Sabbath because we're called to rest. We've stopped eating out on Sabbath, not because of a prohibition, but rather we've realized that in America, we don't own anything. Mm. We kind of get into this rat race. So we don't own our home. We don't own our cars. We don't own anything. The bank owns everything. And so we we live kind of in this in the society where, you know, your market value and your market share and your ability to produce mm. um, defines who you are and what role you play in the society. Mm. By, by saying no to shopping on Sabbath, what you're actually doing is you're saying there's, while there's nothing wrong with having some of these values in your society, mm. 
that can't be all that is valuable in your society. Mm, your wow. your power to build wealth and to buy things can't be all that that mm. is meaningful. And so rather than say, well, we don't go out to eat or we don't go shopping because, or actually we don't watch TV because it's a prohibition. We do it because, hey, our society is built around these things. Yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with those things. But that can't be all that is of value. And so I love this idea of finding what works, whether it's worship and uh, mistuned guitar or um, demanding a strike from eating out on, on Sabbath. Whatever it is, I think the, pr the principle that Joey shared with all of us that I, I just would love for you to, to keep in the back of your minds is there is some otherliness mm -hmm. to Sabbath that is pushing you to be in the moment. Yeah. And whatever that looks for you, we, we celebrate it. We're not here to tell you how to celebrate Sabbath. We're here to celebrate Sabbath with you. Joey, some last words that you would have uh, for us before, before I invite you to pray. Well, I love that you already knew that my guitar was mistuned. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, that otherliness, I love that. I love that. If that's a principle that we can keep central to, to all that we do with, with the Sabbath, and it's not otherliness just to be different. Mm -hmm. It's otherliness to be more in tune with our creator, mm -hmm. right? With our God and to get a taste mm -hmm. of what heaven is like once a week here on earth. Oh, that's so beautifully stated. Won't you pray with it for us? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of the Sabbath. You know, growing up, there were times where I wondered whether the Sabbath was a blessing or a curse. Mm. And yet the way that you show it throughout scripture, the way that the Israelites first experienced it when they came out of slavery, where they had to constantly work seven days a week, and then they get a taste of this, this break, this luxurious rest that they get once a week. It's always shown as a celebration, as a, as a moment to look forward to, as a moment where we get just a sample of what is to come. So as we embrace these Sabbath rhythms and practices, we ask for your, your guidance and for mm -hmm. you to come alongside us to celebrate and rejoice with mm -hmm. us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May you have a restful Sabbath, and Joey and I will see you again next week. God bless you. Mm -hmm.